Welcome to All Things Photonics, a podcast about the physical science of light driving scientific innovation in the 21st century. I'm Joel Williams, Associate Editor at Photonics Media. Join us as we explore the latest trends in optics, lasers, microscopy, and spectroscopy. Each episode, you'll hear from leading voices from across the photonics landscape, brought to you by Photonics Media. Teledyne Judson Technologies is a global leader in the design, development, and manufacturing of high-performance infrared detectors, arrays, and cameras that accelerate the discovery of solutions to many of the world's challenges. Email the team at infrared at to learn how they can help you with your sensing challenges in the infrared. Through the first four years of its lifetime, the All Things Photonics podcast has only just scratched the surface of technologies that comprise the optics and photonics sector. From displays to light-guided molecular machines and quantum-integrated photonics to vision-guided robotics, our belief is that the beauty of our field is in its ability to sprawl across a broad spectrum of topics and down an ever-broadening avenue of scientific innovation. Our podcast is set to celebrate four years on the airwaves in January. That means that we made our debut right before the world was forever changed by the COVID pandemic. And while we've bounced from flow cytometry to directed energy and back again, the pandemic continues to be at the heart of discussions with experts and luminaries across disciplines. Optica Senior Industry Advisor Tom Hoskin first appeared in All Things Photonics in June of 2020. The market impact of COVID-19 guided that conversation, and as Hoskin rejoins us today to kick off our eighth season, the very same topic remains central to the ability of the optics sector to thrive. But for Hoskin, whose insights into subjects such as these are largely unrivaled in our newsroom, there is another topic that continues to fortify its place in relevant dialogue. As much as artificial intelligence is established as a societal technology, it's one whose place along the photonics value chain is unsettled. Unsettled because of its penchant to evolve in ways rapid and profound, and also because of the unknown. What AI means for photonics, and of equal intrigue, what photonics can do for AI, is where season 8 of all things photonics sets sail. First, we set the stage with Optica Senior Industry Advisor, Tom Hoskin. When Tom Hoskin ponders the state of optics and photonics, where does your mind go first? The situation's changed a lot, of course, since 2020, but we, there's still concerns about global recession. And let me be careful how I phrase that because it's actually the situation is looking relatively good in this last quarter of 2023. But if you remember going into 2020, unemployment was at a record low in the, in the U.S. Situation looked good, but there were indications that a recession could be coming with government spending and so forth. Lo and behold, the pandemic came out and there was a very deep drop in output, of course, but then a very quick recovery because of what governments did to stimulate the recovery. And the stock market did well, at least some of the top tech companies did. But then since then, we've plugged along, come out of that. So a lot of employment has struggled. But in our area, there's actually a shortage of talented workers. Companies complain about that all the time. And yet, economists are still concerned about the soft landing. So the Fed 
Federal Reserve Bank in the U.S. has raised interest rates, and of course the idea is to try to slow down inflation, try to avoid a hard landing, as they say. But have they done too much? Have they done too little? The same thing for central banks elsewhere. And then there's the whole situation in China with China's economy, with real estate crisis and slowing demand. Middle class is cutting back on spending, less foreign direct investment, a lot of concerns there. And so there's concern about what will happen with the Chinese economy and how that will impact the world. So not to make too big of a deal out of it, but recession is still very much a concern and that can spill over to our industry. The the trade war and other conflicts are also important too, but that I think that's still number one issue to be concerned about. One of the things that the CHIPS Act did, uh, I think for many of us, and I'll throw myself into this category, is it really conflated what we might consider electronics or microelectronics and optics and photonics. And that is helpful, I think, in some ways to group things together like that, but it's also um, disservicing. It groups the optics and photonics sector somewhere where it may not ought to be grouped. All of this to say, there's a lot of what's happening right now that pertains to the electronics world. Um, and again, I'll, I'll, I'll frame this in the context of the CHIPS Act. Where does the optics and photonics piece of this come into play? With the trade war, it's not all optics and photonics, I guess, is, is the distinction I'm trying to make. So where is optics and photonics in all of this? Yeah, that that is hard to unravel. If you just look at the production, like semiconductor type of production on, on wafers, uh, you can make the parallel with integrated photonics compared to electronics. But electronics is just such a it's, – it's a huge industry. It's hard to comprehend how big it is. Now, optics and photonics is big. When you take in all the systems and all the different types of systems and vertical markets that it sells into, but if you make that parallel, it's – I think it's hard to comprehend how much bigger the electronics industry is and, and the stakes that are involved. But it's interesting when you get into some of this, you know, the CHIPS Act is about domestic production and protecting supply chains to some extent and also domestic employment and, and that kind of thing. When you start looking at that and the trade war, it is a little hard to unravel how it affects optics and photonics industry because companies, they sell into China, they make in China, but they also do a lot domestically. And they're caught in the middle of this, right? Because they want to sell equipment into China, but they also sell to Japan, the U.S., Europe. And so they're kind of caught in the middle. And so are companies that make electronics like Samsung and Hynix that they, they manufacture in China. But now there'd be restrictions on that if they try to export those to the U.S. So there's companies like that that are – and ASML is very much an optically driven system company. They have uh, laser sources, very sophisticated laser sources go into it, very expensive and sophisticated optics that guides it. it is absolutely a huge optical system company, and it's caught in the middle of that trade war. So this is, I mean, what, what this conversation, I think, does is it, it takes an optics and photonics lens, uh, pun intended, I suppose, but it, it reminds us that we're all sort of global citizens, right? And, and Nowhere is that more evident than with AI, and it's something I want to talk about with you here today. Just through an optics and photonics lens, the aforementioned optics and photonics lens, what are the principal considerations? And I I ask that because it can be hard to differentiate where AI is helping the sector and and also where the sector might be helping advance AI. Yeah, it's very confusing because you hear all this, and I think a lot of AI and machine learning, I mean, itself, the field itself is, you know, we're not necessarily – 
experts on it you know, individually. Uh, and then to try to discern where optics fits into this is kind of interesting. So I'm, I'm going to talk about sort of three buckets here. One of them is how Optica is in this. And, and so I'm going to put that aside for now, but I would like to get back to it at some point because Optica is a publisher of scientific articles and publications, and we host conferences for scientific and technical achievements. And so there's what we're doing about that. But if you think about what the industry, how is, how does industry play into AI and machine learning? So there's two things. There's one is how it can enable it. And then there's how machine learning and AI can enhance or enable optics. So the first one, how optics and photonics can enable machine learning and AI, I break that also down further into the white matter and the gray matter. Okay, so white matter in the brain is, you know, way too simply is the interconnects. And so you have optical interconnects in these big data centers that enable this, these large language models and so forth. Now, those optical interconnects themselves don't have any machine learning or AI content. They are interconnects. But these architectures have to change, and they may be even able to finance the next step in optical interconnects, like co-packaged optics, because they need – they have some requirements that are above and beyond what have been required up to now for, say, data centers that do search or social networking. So there's that. There's also the neuromorphic circuits, which are is a small, much more emerging kind of more speculative emerging area, but that can work be all the way up with the image sensor, which is kind of like the human retina. So you have the retina with the gray matter doing this processing that can enable this. And there's advantages to doing it that way. There's advantages to doing it with electronics. So this is using optics to actually enable the machine learning and AI and so forth. Now, there's also what those can do to enhance or enable optics. So you have an image, say, or maybe you have data coming out of your telecommunications network, and you want to optimize how, you know, you want to find patterns in the data or optimize how you use the network and maybe find some efficiencies and cost cutting or whatever through the use of machine learning. Now, the machine learning tools that you use might be entirely electronic and using electronic hardware and and software, but you're using it to look at these images or this data and enhance it or to do things that you couldn't do before because these tools are so powerful. So you have those sort of two parts of it. And I think a lot of the papers that you see, a lot of the discussion is around that second one, the sort of downstream using machine learning to look at these optics images and and so on. But they're, they're all happening at the same time. It can be kind of confusing. So you, you sort of alluded to something here, I think, within the, the industry that if you're talking about neuromorphic photonics, specifically photonics, not just compute, uh, there is some of this where we're trying to frame it as a long view, something we've maybe not seen before, but an outcome type that we are, are at least not completely unfamiliar with. So I guess my, my, my aim here is to try to establish some sort of timeline for when did the industry start to see some of this as new or concerning or as an avenue down which there might be opportunity to advance the the sector i like to say that it takes a long time to create an overnight sensation <laughs> if you it if feels you're working, like that though doesn't it yeah 
Yes. If you're not working in the field intimately, these things seem like overnight sensations. And if you are working in it, you say, oh, this is nothing new we've been working on for, for years or, or even decades. So I think you know, a lot of this is thanks to ChatGPT uh, version 3.5 that came out that last year. And maybe you know, those listening, maybe they're using uh, version 4.0 at this point. And so there's a huge discussion over that and what it means for society and how it could change education and fake news and deep fakes and and all that kind of stuff. So generative AI and particularly something around language and images. But AI has been around since at least, I guess, the 1950s, and they've looked at optical computing, not necessarily machine learning and this deep learning type techniques, but they've looked at that since the 60s. And I even have a paper somewhere from... Uh, Optics, Optics, uh, Photonics News in the 80s that said, you know, is this the end? Has electronics, uh, you know, beat us because digital signal processors came out and the cost of electronics is going down? And it's just continued to go down. And yet you still have neuromorphic solutions, which may be really good for certain applications in conjunction, co-designed with electronics, right? They're not going to do the whole job themselves. You, You have to figure out what these topologies are. And so it sort of comes and goes and comes and goes, and, and there's still you know, new ways of looking at things, but they involved optics and photonics. So yes, it's true that it's suddenly there's this new surge in the last few years, and in the last year, a lot of conversation over generative AI and machine learning in general, and there's going to continue to be that. But the work has been going on for even decades in different forms. So it's it's both new and not new at the same time. The newness piece of this is interesting um, because there are, as you mentioned, some applications that are commanding um, an AI-driven uh, advance. But I don't think it would be totally fair to say that what's happening in AI, even in the optics and photonic space, is entirely application-driven. Curious to get your thoughts on whether that is a, a unique dynamic to AI or are there are other technologies where we're advancing them at our darndest. But there isn't necessarily that application because surely um, there are instances, uh, and maybe they're one-offs, where you know you're looking for the problem, you're looking for the application. But with AI, it's an entire realm where this is the case. Uh, maybe you could clarify what you're getting at because you know with ChatGPT, these companies have put out something and they say, "Hey, look what we can do," and then now they're starting to talk about, "Well, okay, at some point they have to." monetize it as they say <laughs> yeah, to make a profit yeah, on their investment right yeah. and and so there'll be a lot of different ways to do that but we don't know yet exactly what they have they don't know yet yeah. exactly how no, that's just curious if you can apply that same dynamic to a photonics technology you know the obvious one that that might come to mind is pics right we're advancing this so quickly um, but there's a lot unknown yet yeah, that's the nature of R&D. If you go to a conference and we're having our annual meeting next week in Tacoma, Washington, on the west coast of the U.S., where we will have a theme on machine learning. And you know, these are research papers you know, at the conference where they will be talking about some of the things that they can do. And naturally, when you're doing research that may be, it may be pre-competitive, where you're you're just looking at developing the tools or what if sort of situations. Now, there have been tools around for a long time, commercial tools that you can use to where you can use deep learning. And I think maybe a lot of that doesn't get recognized. So I was talking to an expert in the medical field and she was saying that the generative models can actually look at x-rays and interpret them and write a description as well as a human can 
Uh, they still want to have the radiologist looking at it, the expert, for various reasons, I guess. But they could eliminate the interns who are writing these reviews up to now. Maybe those interns could be doing something else, or maybe it's good for them to be to be doing this as part of their training. But in any case, it's good enough to replace the interns, but not to replace the radiologist. But in pap smears, in another example, they have a lot of good, really good data on that. It's a different type of problem, and they can rely on the AI for that. So I think it's one of these things where there are so many applications out there, and then Getting from a research paper out to the field and proving that it has it's worthwhile and that maybe the insurance company will reimburse you and the regulators will approve it or it, it, that's in the case of the medical field but in other fields that you know the system users and the operators all think that this is worthwhile that's a long long process right and and maybe some of these things have made it through and we don't necessarily recognize it so I think. That yeah, the you see if you go to the conferences, you see the papers about the more speculative or the the new techniques that they're using. But some of the basic tools have been around for quite a while. I'll ask you to put in your Optica uh, hat, so to speak, for these next couple of questions. I think the the answers are best given um, with the Optica hat on. And you alluded to this earlier, but this practice of R and D and R and D publishing. What's Optica doing? How does it view this this uh, reality we're now in? And what are the action steps that the society is taking? The release of the ChatGPT tool, uh, or the the 3.5 version at least, uh, really opened up a lot of eyes, and the scientific societies have responded in turn. It's certainly a good writing tool, and uh, there are a lot of apps out there, Grammarly, for example, where you can clean up your writing. And for that, I think it's people understand it's acceptable to run your own text through that if you want to clean it up. ChatGPT and these other large language models are really good for getting access to people where English is not necessarily their native language. You can use it for tutoring uh, and and train learning on new subjects that you're not familiar with or translating difficult topics to even to the general public. But Optica has made the decision that you must disclose the use of AI and large language models uh, where it's part of the research that you, the authorship has to be a human being, that a human has to be accountable. You can't not put AI as a co-author. And if you're going to use this, you have to be very careful because you may be subject to plagiarism. There may be something that pop up, pops up and you're not even aware that the generative model is using it, the same thing in other places or that it came from somewhere else. Of course, there's hallucinations, there's bias, there's copyright issues where it's scraping something from somewhere else. So you have to be very, very careful about using it. Also, in peer review, Optica has come down saying that it cannot use this for doing more reviews, for boosting reviews. When you get a paper for review, it is confidential, and there may be other issues around that. So uh, it's really best to consult the Optica publishing staff on that, but that's how the community is responding at this point. Optica, of course, big organization. This is just the publishing piece of, of the Optica operation. And this may be an unfair question, which um, really does compel me to ask it. How does Optica view AI? Because there's a lot of opportunity there. So, you know, it, it's not an elephant in the room type of question, but considering the opportunity, the room for growth, uh, the dangers and the things to which the society is already reacting to, I mean, is there excitement? Is there anxiety? Is there all of the above? <laughs> it's hard to speak for the whole community. You know, our industry tends to be a pretty sober one. Uh, we don't get real dramatic. <laughs> 
and, and at the same time, I think as individuals, yeah, we're all affected by this. If you have children in school, you're starting to wonder, well, how is this going to affect education and, and you know, exams and, and all this kind of thing. If you're an educator, you know, you're, you're thinking about it. So I, I think it's a pretty big thing to hit our industry. And yet at the same time, as I said, you know, the, a lot of this work down in the trenches has been going on for a long time. And so maybe how we respond as individuals is different as we respond as a, as an industry or as a community. But yeah, again, it's hard, it's hard to generalize that we are global and that encompasses a lot of different cultures. Uh, Some who maybe are, have been uh, kind of, uh, marginalized by again, you know, English is not necessarily the native language, and so being able to have something translated into your native language or or to translate back into English that could be a, a, an incredible tool. As a, as are a lot of the other things that you can use with this. You mentioned the uh, annual general meeting, Optica and uh, Frontiers and Laser Science happening together in uh, Seattle or Tacoma, I suppose, mm-hmm. uh, in the Great Northwest next week. And as we record this rather, as this airs. We'll be right in the teeth of that meeting. Uh, Hoping you can uh, set the stage for us a little bit. What's on the agenda, top of mind priorities for Optica uh, that guests and attendees will be able to uh, invest in at the meeting? Well, it's co-located with the Laser Congress, so we're very excited about that. And so bringing a lot of content around lasers, but also the rest of it, it is our our annual general meeting. So really great place to pick up on the latest that's happening in a number of different areas. So we, we it, it covers all of the Optica community, you know, biophotonics and lasers and, and uh, color and vision and, and all that. We have three themes this year that are we're very excited about as well that are covering um, machine learning is one of them, quantum is another, and AR, VR, augmented reality and virtual reality. And these have continued from previous years as well. So a lot of excitement around those themes. Those are invited talks spread out over a few days. And so uh, we can look forward to that as well. Uh, I want to end um, sort of where we could have also started. Our theme on the podcast this season really prods the intersection between photonics R&D at a high level um, and productization. And we, we've talked sort of at length here about AI in its role and its place in the photonics value chain. And I'll, I'll allude to PICS again. There's quite a bit of technology advancement happening in manufacturing, in scale, in packaging. And that maybe isn't the traditional thought for where one places AI, but that doesn't mean AI can't play a role there. This is just an example, but I'm, I'm curious if you see a role for AI in supporting things like the transfer of technology or even identifying use cases that may not be on the uh, the radar or on the LIDAR, I suppose, for society right now. Not necessarily. I think it's good to think about the low-hanging fruit. A lot of times in forecasting, th- those obvious things that you see early on there's a reason they're obvious you know the a lot of the application i would say most gosh in in some way maybe nearly all the applications in lasers were conceived in this 1960s when they first invented it but they just didn't have the technology to follow through and and of course it it branches and there's more and more sort of sub applications and that sort of thing but i think it's fairly obvious that it can be used in r&d and in manufacturing and as i mentioned before, downstream to enhance, say, enhance an image or to get information on your on your system that's operating, that sort of thing. 
Beyond that, I think you have to be careful. So you mentioned like transfer of technology. You think about that, let's say patent searches. That sounds like a very tedious exercise. And I've heard for years about how, uh, well, AI might replace junior lawyers in a law firm, for example. And I don't know if that's the case or not, but they've talked about it. So you can imagine that a, an AI system might be able to do some patent searches uh, to complement a human or even replace a human. It's conceivable, but that's not necessarily optical, right? That's maybe using adjunct or, you know, next to our our business, but it's not an optical business per se. And then you mentioned identifying unintended use or uh, un, you know. Yeah, uh, novel use cases. Novel use cases. Yeah. And I think it's important to remember that AI and machine learning, but AI in general, it's it's not for everything. Physical models, by the way, work really well, and they're explainable, and they're generalizable. We didn't really talk about that, but physical models are great. Machine learning models are really good when you have a very complex problem, and it's highly dimensional, and you're looking for some patterns in it, some insight, and and you can do it. But it can be expensive, and it's not necessarily generalizable, and it's not explainable, and all this. And then I think when you're trying to find use cases, people have come to me for years saying, well, how do you find the next big thing? Or, you know, what's the growing thing? And I have my method for forecasting the whole industry. But if you're looking at your own company, well, you do it by going out and going to conferences and talking to people. And you understand what your company can do and what other potential customers can do. And you may work with them for years on that. It's, there's, it's not a defined process, and it's going to vary from company to company and technology to technology. So I, I think that's exactly the sort of thing that a human is adapted to. But there are some of these – maybe the patent search, that's something that you might be able to adapt an AI system to. So it's not for everything, and I think that low-hanging fruit of – you know, processing data in an image or reverse uh, inverse design of a circuit, something like that. Those, as hard as those problems are, those are already hard enough <laughs> without having to reach beyond that. That concludes this week's episode of All Things Photonics. Thank you to our engineer, Alan Shepard, and to our news editor, Jake Saltzman, as well as to this week's sponsors. Our featured music is courtesy of betterwithmusic.com. Most of all, thank you, our listeners. As always, you can share your thoughts, pitch us ideas, and let us know how we're doing. You can reach us at allthingsphotonics.com. All Things Photonics is available on all major platforms, including Spotify, Apple Podcasts, as well as on our website, photonics.com.